honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Indie Comics Spotlight. The show where we spend time thinking about doing a deep dive. Deep, deep. We're going to go deep on this one too. Deep, deep dive into an ongoing series of graphic novel from a company other than the big two. And um, this is the second time uh, with a vault comic. If you're unfamiliar um, with vault comics, that's okay. Um, I don't blame you because until I did my first vault comic, um, Wasted Space with Steve J. Ray. Um, I hadn't heard of them either. And now I know, and they're very good, and I've been reading quite a bit of vault comics. Um, and they're officially now on Hoopla, some of them, which makes me very excited. So uh, today's vault comic is a, uh, we're doing because my guest said, have you read this comic? <laughs> I was like, um, no. And I was like, let's <laughs> do that. So here he is, not to talk about Mark Russell, my friend and yours. The voice that launched a thousand ships, Mr. Genuine Chit Chat himself, Mike Burton. Friend, hello. Hello, Tony. I am doing incredibly well, and it's always lovely talking with you. I mean, we were chatting for ages before. I know. Yeah, we should. I mean, seriously, you should. That could have been an afterthoughts, before thoughts. We should have just recorded that. We could have done. We could have. That would (laughs) be good. Behind the scenes shit. Yeah, I mean, it is good, but the thing is with most guests, when it's return guests I have, um, either I'm on their show or I've got a rapport with them, as soon as you start, it's like, hey, let's catch up and chat. You know, you're yeah. normally messaging each other with certain updates, but it's nice to catch up in person and be able to of say course. things that you can eloquently put together. But when it's a new guest, it's always like, I'm get, I'm trying to make them comfortable. So it's like, I can't, I'm not just like immediately on the, oh, how's your personal life in these sort of elements, you know? So it has to be like, I'm trying to make this person comfortable before they go on an air quotes interview and things. Yeah, that's Especially totally true. My own show. But to be <laughs> fair, the first time I met you, I felt like I know that guy. Like as soon as I saw your face, I was like, I know him. I've known him my whole life. And we just started talking about Star Wars before I mm. came on to talk about teaching. And we just started talking about Star Wars. It's like, I know that guy. Look at him. There's, you know how it is. There's certain people, Tanya's that way. There's certain yeah. people, you meet him. You're like, I know that guy. I don't know. There's no... Mm. And other people, it's like pulling teeth. And I'm not going to name names on your show because, as you know, I have listened to every genuine chit chat. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to name names. But there is a couple of interviews where it's like, that's an interview. And Mike, mm-hmm. I, and it was before I knew you that I, you know, I mean, I heard those. And then I knew you and then I went back and listened to the beginning and everything. Once I heard you on Chris and Dave's show. But like, I go back to those. And then it's like, once I got to know you, I'm like, oh, that's an interview. And he had a bad time. I can just tell, you know, as opposed to, it's not a genuine chit chat. It's a genuine interview. It's like you and Goff is like, that's gold. That is fucking comedy gold. And everybody should just, I mean, that's the Mike and Goff show would be something everyone would listen to every week. Not that you have time, but I would, I know he's got a show. You've got a show, but I think the world needs that. Mm, We do. I mean, we do chat like uh, every 
six to 12 months, it seems. And I've been going now for nearly five years. Yeah. We're getting yeah. to. Yeah. And now that you're yeah. on hit, now you've had, now he can, you know, that's the thing he can reciprocate too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I was on his show and things. I need to do yeah. more guest spots actually. But, uh, you know, time yeah. with all, everything, I'm buying a house or I've bought a house now and redecorating it and all this stuff and like trying to have my own two podcasts and then also be able to do podcasts I really want to do with people like yourself. But then also trying to, the way golf puts it is whore myself out you know because yeah. he says he's like if anyone if he's like if anyone wants me to go on their show i will go on any show and i'm like i'm not quite that far i wouldn't go on anything i do do a little bit of checking beforehand but it's like i, I want to go on more shows but to try and reach out to people to be like i want to go on all these shows you know it's i'm just talking about podcasting now which is i, I always fall into this it's trap what we do to other podcasts. but let's just before we talk about comics here's what happened the other day my friend mm-hmm. and yours janine mercer has her new show out, season nine. And of course I download it and I didn't listen to it right away. I was like, ooh, I got Janine's new. And I like it when she does the spooky guest stories. Those are great. So I'm excited and I hit play finally. And whose voice do I hear first? But Mike Burton's. <laughs> You're listening yeah, to the Podmoth Network. I was like, what? That's exciting. Yeah. yeah that, that was a lot of fun. That's maybe the best. Anything that's like the that. best thing I've ever done is made you and Janine talk. Yeah, that was that's pretty not, good. More than my children, more than meeting my wife. No, that's, none of that's true. But <laughs> no, I'm very not. excited that you guys are friends now. She's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, one of the wonders of podcasting with yourself and other people of Comics Emotion and the extended family, including people like Tonya Todd and Scott Weatherly and et cetera, yeah. is like individuals such as those, whenever we one of us connects with them, it ends up becoming other ones connect with them as well. Like yeah. BZ and Tonya, that sort of happened as well. And I think Scott, I knew Scott because of the collaboration I did with Chris and Dave yeah, before Comics Motion was the way it was. Yeah. And that's what Lord, like, that was like a soft pilot almost for my Star Wars show uh, in some ways. Found yeah. on this very network. Right. Brought, on this very network brought to you by. Actually, you know what? We should make it brought to you by. I'm just going to make this official now. Um, Martian Lit, uh, Julian Darius, uh, who's been on this show, who's mm-hmm. on Stories of the Time and Space with Scott. Um, he actually, uh, I, he and I were talking before, and he is now officially in the process of getting Martian Lit on Hoopla Digital. Oh, nice. Very cool. So, because Comicsology went to shit, and that was where, that was his best, you know, promotional tool, as it were, yeah. you know. But, so once it's on Hoopla, and we'll make sure I'm going to, I told them I'm going to, you know, promote the shit out of it. Because the cool thing about Hoopla Digital is every time you, you listener, download stuff from Hoopla Digital, the creator gets money every time. Really? That's why wow. there's a limited number of downloads per per month per library because there is it's between a dollar and four dollars back to the artist for every download depending on what wow. it is they're doing. So that's why it's like if you want to try out an album, you try out an album there. The artist is probably going to get two bucks. If you're going to get a mm. comic or an audiobook, the reader and the artist is going to get some money. So Hoopla Digital. So Julian, hopefully, once Martian Lit is up there, he can bring in some serious coin and we'll promote the show. So that'll say, we'll say this network brought to you by Martian lit. You should go read Julian's comics. They're good. Mm. And um, he was on talking about that a long time ago, but we're here to talk about this comic, Mike. <laughs> what do we want to talk about this? Co- tell me about, tell me, we already know Mike's story. And listen, my mm-hmm. favorite thing, hearing you talk and doing the star Wars show and how much you love comics now, and you've been on Scott's show and everything is that your comic love and knowledge has grown and grown and grown. And so, this, of course, you've heard of this comic because of Star Wars. <laughs> yes. I know we're all going to be shocked. Tell everybody how, why we're reading this and how it came into your hot little hands. So 
basically we're reading Shadow Service by Kevin Scott. And as anyone who listens to Star Wars Comics and Canon knows, I always go on about Kevin Scott. He is uh, one of the story architects of uh, Star Wars, uh, The High Republic. And he wrote The Rising Storm. He's also done The High Republic comics as well and Monster of Temple Peak, all of which I have um, done. And he also used to do like audio books for... Um, doctor who and he's done stuff for like all kinds of things pacific rim he's done like a phantom of the opera mini series uh comic like like an, an adaptation of the actual story and all kinds of stuff and i managed to speak with him on uh genuine chit chat um and when i spoke to them they're like oh would you like to also talk about shadow service and i was like yeah well, I, I didn't think about that you know i was like yeah that'd be awesome i'd love to uh, check that out so i got it and then I read it and obviously I was interested because I really like Kevin Scott's other work, but I read through it and I was like, this is not what I expected. And I'd seen shadow service advertised, I think in other comics, but you know, you there's so many comics out there and stuff. It's always like, what do I choose from? I want to read what I was saying just before we recorded, you know, I want to read the rest of the Sandman stuff. Cause obviously we did that on the book club and there's loads of other sort of hard hitters in DC, especially in Marvel. that I want to read like life story, fantastic four with uh, Mark Russell, Mark's, things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's so many comics I want to read, but there's only so much time in the day. And I have to read stuff specifically for comics and canon basically every week and the books and the other non-Star Wars stuff I'm consuming anyway. And so when this, I was like, oh, this is cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to read this so I can talk to him about it. But I I read it and I was like, this is, I I enjoyed this so much. I want to share it specifically. Like when I spoke to Kevin Scott, he was so nice. And so like, he didn't, when I spoke to him about Shadow Service, he himself then connected it to Star Wars in some ways and then brought it back and these sort of things. So it wasn't like me, he wasn't like trying to dart away from Shadow Service or trying to really talk about it the whole time. He just spoke about it to a degree. And I was just like, this is so cool. And I'm so glad I read it before speaking to him because there are things that if I hadn't read it, I wouldn't have you know, been able to ask him certain questions, but there's just, there's just a lot of cool stuff in it. it and that's the most simple way to like, there's, there's really good elements in certain places, but it's just, there's so much cool shit. There's just so much of it. In like all, almost every issue, there's one or two things that I was just like, this is both the artwork done by, I think it's Corin Howell. Yeah. It's, it's so, so well done. Um, so I want to share it. And obviously who better than the indie comic King? Oh, thank you. King. Wow. I guess I should have worn a crown today. All of that is awesome because I listened to that show, obviously. Um, and I was like, oh, that's, you know, I, that, and so as soon as you send it to me, I'm like, whatever, man, let's, let's, let's do it. And I know you and I have said this, and again, we're going to talk about podcasting again, as one does when one talks to Mike, but the thing about it is, and you've always said this on your show, and it's true, like, there's a, if you say, I'm going to go sit and talk to Mike for two hours, he's like, that's weird. But if you're like, I'm going to go record, I'm going to talk to Mike specifically about this thing, because like adults, like when you're in a busy adult, and you're setting aside time as part of your hobby to just sit in a room and stare at your friend for two hours on a computer screen people would think that's weird that sounds like a work meeting but if you Mm. record it and put it out in the world then people are like that's totally normal and that's cool so (laughs) the fact that you were like and this is just something we need to do i've been trying to get dan superhero for dummies dan on but he's got i don't know if you know this but he's um becoming a master baker and so yeah yeah so he's he's been sending me pictures of the shit he's been baking which He's down south, so maybe you should find out. Why, is he, bakery. why has he not told me about this? I'd love to have him, <laughs> like to have him on Genuine Chit Chat talk about baking. Megan would love to as well. Megan yeah, loves yeah, to yeah, um, yeah. His um, wow. father-in-law. He's learning from his father-in-law. So he and I have been trying to. Um, I'm trying to get him on to talk Hellboy because believe it or not, I'm like a hundred and some episodes in. I've never talked about Hellboy. He was on my first when I made the list. 
when I first talked to Chris and Chris and Dave, I'm like, Hellboy, top 10, first 10 shows, still have yet to cover Hellboy. <laughs> so I was like, you know, because, you know, Dan's open for, he's up for whatever. And I was like, dude, what do you know about Hellboy? He's like, not much. I'm like, okay, cool. The first six ones, guess what he does, Mike? He punches Nazis. So you will love that. Um, <laughs> and so it was super cool. So, but because he's super busy, we just haven't had him on. But it's, it's also like, I want to talk about Hellboy, but it's also like, well, I just want to see what Dan's up to. I haven't talked to him in a while. So it's like, you make these plans. So I'm glad you picked this one because I think in the way that we do, we're going to have all these side conversations because as you said, shadow service is cool shit. It's, 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 um, I believe I have um, an interview with Mr. Scott up here, not your interview with Mr. Scott. Cause that, I don't have the, uh, the uh, transcript of that. Um, but it's, he, he himself calls it part James Bond, part Dr. Who. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are things that people like, and he, he takes those two ideas and he smashes them together and he makes, as Mike Burton says, and this should be, on the cover, when they put the 10 issues together into one, instead of two volumes, the one volume, it should say, this is cool shit, Mike Burton. Genuine <laughs> well, that'd um, be the dream. It is. So so it is. It is James Bond meets Doctor Who. But I also think it goes a little beyond Doctor Who. I think, um, I don't know if you guys ever had the show Supernatural over there. It was a big hit. Yeah, I, I've not seen it, but a lot of people over here watch Okay. It. I feel like there's- I think Scott's I, seen quite a lot of it. Yeah. And my, and I've not, uh, I didn't watch it a lot. I've watched bits and pieces. My kids really liked it. But, you know, they're like dealing with demons and crazy wackadoo shit. And so that is going on in here too. And I, I like that idea of, of demons. And, um, and I think this will be the place we'll start. You and me right here, because I know you're not a super religious guy, but you went to Catholic school. You're not really, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're atheist, but you look, you're an atheist who looks over and asks I'm questions. Like, you know, it's like the term bi-curious. I'm almost like kind of bi-curious in spirituality. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I am atheist. I don't think there's anything there, but I'm like, I'm, I'm starting. I suppose that's what agnostic is. A lot of people yeah. be like, dude, you're just being a twat. Why are you making it so weird? It's agnostic. <laughs> that's literally, yeah, literally yeah. what it is like, but I'm kind of like, I'm not, I'm not, quite i'm I'm pretty firm there's not it's yeah. not quite a, i'm not sure i'm like i used to be like 100 percent. no there's nothing and now i'm like 75 percent, 80 percent. but i still would believe there isn't something i believe that the universe is more beautiful than a deity i believe the energy that connects all of us is interpreted in like light and it, everything is alive we all come from the same point allegedly and we can you know we're alive trees are alive all kinds of stuff will break down and die and become matter and the same thing so it's kind of like you know, the thing is, I realized that when I talk about this, a lot of people make the connection and it actually it helps and makes my air quote Star Wars brand worse. It's a lot like they would describe it in Star Wars, like Yoda says, you know, we are of course beings of light sort of thing. But I love religion in a sense of it intrigues me so much and so much fiction and documentaries I enjoy are about those elements. There's a, there's a Morgan Freeman one called Story of God on Disney Plus that's from Nat Geo. It's amazing. He just he talks to loads of different people about different religions and stuff. So I love all that stuff. Yeah, and demons and stuff are really cool. And they well, let's talk about that. So the flip side to that, right, is demons. And so, you know, Jack and I are covering Fringe right now in season's greetings. And you know, when um, when Scott did Ghostbusters month at the end of every episode, he asked, "Do you believe in ghosts?" And people, different people, said different things. So. I, I'm glad you you set up you set us up. So that's actually kind of want to start there before we get into who the characters are and what they do. I think the premise of this is fascinating because I think you could come at it in two ways. You can come at anything that's like demonic from that's totally fiction. It's just a fun silly ride, um, full of cool shit. Or you can come at it from the perspective it's a fun fun ride, full of cool shit, but it's not silly. Hmm. Um, 
and so I have a student, I had a student years ago um, who told me this and she was on the spectrum. I taught an entire class of composition one, composition two of high school kids who are dual enrolling in college, but they were all on the spectrum. It was amazing. It was one summer. It was the greatest teaching experience of my life. One of the, one of the students, she was teaching herself Latin. And the reason she was teaching herself Latin, she said, like, totally straight face. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't want to say her name, but I was like, oh, yeah, man, what, what's up with Latin? She's like, well, you have to know Latin. That's the language the demons speak. <laughs> that was for real, like, totally means it. So her whole paper was about demonology. So she wrote her, you know, I was like, okay, that's what we're going to write about. Let's make that the focus of your research. She was like, really? I can write about that. So she was very excited. So there's those people, her, she's out there in the world fighting demons for us. Thank you. Um, and then there's the people who think, nah, fake. So where do you fall? Like, if you believe all of that, like, how does the premise of this work for you beyond just it's a comic book? But like, you know, because he does a really, Kevin does a great job of giving us three-dimensional characters and they have real strife, uh, especially our, you know, our, our like five leads, as it were, but the three leads in particular are really human and we get everybody's backstory which i love so he's rooting this fantastical story in reality by giving us characters we can believe in but then he's also asking us to believe in demons so how far along are you on that and again like is does this make sense to you or does this be like well that's a turn off for me i'm kind of in in real life in my actual belief i do not believe demons are real but i don't believe that the possibility of them is not real because i believe that for example scientists and things have said about space time and all this kind of other stuff and there is a theoretical possibility of you know all sci-fi talks about this either hyperspace or there's wormholes or portals or these sorts of ideas are sprinkled around science fiction and fantasy which are for me very t tightly knit especially star wars is you know space fantasy more so than actually sci-fi so it's like an amalgamation but the the elements of being able to create a portal or walk through it and go out the other side is something that is mirrored across so much media and it's just like dimensional travel if it, we can't understand the way the world is in full, we have five ish uh, senses generally. You Depending know, on who we are, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and it's also generally speaking, we people have the, the stand is five, but I think the market was like nine because you can tell the te temperature change is one feeling that's different to feeling with you, you know. But generally, you, we've got a limited vessel. And one thing, one example I always use to people is you can't see infrared, but we know it's there. You can't see microwaves and radiation and these sorts of things, but you we can detect they're there and see they are there. But we do not have the vessel to be able to have our brain connect to something that can translate whatever's in front of us. And there's only a limited amount of stuff you can see. We can't see the air particles, but there are, I imagine, beings that probably can, depending how small they are. So it's just like everything in what one air quotes reality is, who's to say there aren't other dimensions or ways to get here and that certain weird things that happen in life are caused by that do i think it has happened on earth the likelihood in probability is probably no but if it happened obviously i'd be freaking out but i wouldn't be like in denial i'd be like this level makes sense because we know such an unfathomably small amount about everything i can really in my brain go oh they're demons you're doing like a ritual well in reality what that is this is just a level of science we don't understand doing this on the floor of chalk or whatever and saying this and getting the blood of this being and stuff it makes a chemical reaction that unbeknownst to us opens up a, a rip in something and you can manipulate that with a certain tune or something and that's what their chanting is and that opens up a hole in space time and that is actually a portal to the demon dimension like that could be a science fiction thing and fantasy so for me i'm just like 
I've never had an issue with believing. I grew up watching Doctor Who and obviously Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and um, lots of those things. And obviously I've played video games a lot. And video games is about immersion. You know, that's how I got into a lot of the nerdy things with comic books, et cetera. It's just like you commit. You basically go, I'm going to control this thing. And in my brain, I'm seeing what's on the screen. You kind of tune everything else out. And you're immersing yourself in video games and in this world. And you do it with books and you do it with um, other things. So I think for me, it's never a question of, is this possible necessarily? For me, it's like in this version of reality, it is. They've done that. Who's to say there are, you know, there's parallel universe theory. Well, who's to say in a parallel universe, there isn't magic like that. Like you can't unfortunately disprove it necessarily. So I'm like, I'm, I'm all in as long as, my main rule is you can't make rules for your world and then break your own rules consistently all the time just for like cheap plot things like Deus Ex Machinas and things like that, like and time travel and stuff like you were talking about in your uh, recent conversation. Yeah, with Ibrahim. About, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, don't don't yeah. fuck up the rules, man. Have the rules or don't, but don't have them and then like immediately pretend they're not there. That's annoying as fuck. Exactly. Yeah. And he doesn't do that. Kevin doesn't do that here, which I think Mm -hmm. is really smart. So I appreciate you giving us all that insight because I I agree with everything that you're saying there. There's a book series that Neil Gaiman was part of. um, And then he wrote it with two other people. And then they kept going with it with Neil kind of supervising it. It, Again, more books for your list. It's called Interworld. And um, it's like there's like a fulcrum. It's almost like you just described the plot of Interworld having not read it. Uh, so there's the center world kind of where we live and there's this kid called Joseph Harker. And then as you move further and further away up the arc, you know, like to the horizon from the point at the bottom, there's different to the one side, it's magic and to the other side, it's science. Mm-hmm. And in each world, the Harker, the Harker is what they call the, the, is the walker between the worlds. And this Joe doesn't know when we first meet him. And that's, you know, the point of view, he's the new Harker. And of course, it's like a play on the one in Highlander and Matrix and all that shit. You know, there's always got to be like a white savior in the middle of it all, whatever. <laughs> Fine. But he, that's the cool thing is in the other universes, the Harker's not always a man and he's not always a white guy. So it's like you start by, of course, it's a white kid, but then you're like, oh, it's a Native American and it's a bird person and it's a woman. And the first Harker he meets in the first adjacent world, it's Josephine Harker. Mm. So just just next door. So it so this this idea of of sharing the universe that way, and and saying it could go to magic, it could go to science, and that's the thing you know in, that we hear all the time, and it's mentioned in Fridge. You know, science was always magic until you could explain mm-hmm. it. So 100%. what I love about this series, so that's kind of where I, and you're like, what the fuck are we talking about? Shadow service? What is this? The reason we need to have this conversation <laughs> is because the premise is. Uh, our star is called Gina Myers, and she's a witch. So you're like, okay, that's fantasy. That's not science fiction. So why did we spend all this time talking about science? But there's a London-based version. They're called Section 26, and they're also called MI666. Um, a slang name for them. Yeah, yeah, which like, they don't love uh, necessarily. That um, they fight the powers of darkness, or they are the powers of darkness, which is all up for debate, which we'll discuss as we go through whether they're they're fighting the baddies or they are the baddies <laughs> and the perspective of that, which I love. But anyway, the reason that, that we bring up the sciencey stuff is because they're fighting magic with science. Mm-hmm. There is magic involved too, but the things are very I- explained. There is a, there's the, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So those rules are still in place. Like the rules of physics and the rules of science of our world are in play where there's magic. So it's like, 
it is science fiction and fantasy together, which is hard to pull off. I mean, it's usually your science fiction or your fantasy. Mm-hmm. You're not both. And obviously Star Wars is both. It's one of the few things that does it really well. I mean, Star Trek is hard science fiction. Mm-hmm. It is not fantasy. There's no fantasy there. Everything is, I mean, you may not like their, their bullshit, you know, explanations and whatever they say, but it's always science. Right. They've got a science officer. Spock is the science officer. Shit's fucking science. Okay. But, you know, the force and all that. So this is like that perfect blend, a love story. So it makes perfect sense to me that he is the Star Wars architect because he gets it and he plays Mm -hmm. in that world really well. Um, And so do you think then that it makes it easier for you, like for Star Wars fans to jump into shadow service because they already believe they're already willing to accept. Like if you don't, if you're not into this stuff, you're not going to get there, right? Like he's writing to a particular crowd. He's not trying to like break, he is breaking new ground, but he's not. And it's a weird Mm. storytelling device. So what do you make of that? And again, this is what I said to you in our text. I'm like, I have hot thoughts. I have Mm. hot takes and I'm, I love this book. So I'm not saying it's bad, but what I'm saying is, is he like, I was there in 1977 when Star Wars happened. Your dad took you to, to see the Phantom Menace. That, that world was open to you for the first time. Is Kevin, does shadow service welcome the uninitiated or does he know that it can't because he's writing for vault comics and he knows who he is. So he's like, I'm just writing a love letter to my fellow nerds. Where do you think this is? I think that if you like star Wars, you're not guaranteed to like this, but it depends what elements of star Wars you enjoy. So if you're someone who quite likes, for example, the dark side of the force and when like if order 66, like for me, revenge of the Sith is my favorite star Wars film because it's so dark my favorite one of my favorite battles aside from episode three is in episode six which is vader and luke and luke basically gives into the dark side and when he's slamming his lightsaber down you watch it happen you watch him beat vader using the dark side and then there's the turn of stuff there's elements of things i really like that are dark about star wars that are deeply emotional but also quite very raw and with that level of darkness that is, is is in loads of other things but the main place you find it if done well is horror and Kevin Scott is a horror writer. He, he, that is like his, one of his main passions. Like in my conversation with him, I try to not talk about horror with him. And I even said to him before recording, I was like, I'm, I, I love horror and you love horror, but I've heard you talk about horror in every, almost every interview. And because you, you're not promoting horror, you're just talking about other stuff. You can only answer one or two questions about horror, really. So it's like, you only say the same thing quite a lot, but he loves it. You read his Star Wars book, The Rising Storm, is hugely horror elements of it. And his comics, the last few issues of the High Republic comics, they are flat out horror. A lot of it is like the thing I feel like. You get that, it's uh, you know body, body gore and that kind of thing. But it's done in a very interesting way and the artwork you know, is incredible as well. But he is a horror writer and I think if you enjoy horror, you're most... The, the most likely person to like this sort of thing. We're almost jumping to your last question. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like yeah. the, the horror is, if you love horror, you're almost guaranteed to like this I think that's the entry point because if you're a horror fan, you're generally willing to believe in the confines of fiction, anything, because every horror idea is they, they don't really explain most of it. And normally the films that do it, they suck. So it's just like, look, there's a being, what does he do? Oh, he got burnt alive uh, for being a pedophile and now he haunts children's dreams. Like that makes no sense. Like, shut up, watch the film. Like this is right. one of the greatest ideas in all of horror, you know, and you've got different versions of things just being scary in different ways. And in this, I think, if you're into horror, a lot of the elements of the demons in this are very horror-esque. They're very much, they're not the sort of the, the demons you see in like 
like I love both of the Vampire Slayer and you know uh, me and Megan are watching it and we're nearing the end of series five and she has no idea what's coming but, oh. I know I can't wait um, but with uh, with uh, demons and things it's like Buffy demons most of them aren't that scary they're just right. like oh that's a demon you know they whatever. also had a low budget TV show yeah, and they had that to do like, like yeah. and what Doctor Who had the same thing, where I was like, here's right. pillar episodes that are highly rated and make the show absolutely phenomenal, and here's ninety percent of our budget. Here's three episodes in between where we couldn't do much, so we have to move the plot along with conversation and almost no decent action. Yeah. Which then, but anyway, um, with when you see demons in certain other things like horror movies and stuff, when it's a proper a demon demon and you're scared of it and it's got like loads of limbs dead spaces video game that does incredibly well it's not a demon they're like necromorphs but they're very demon-esque whereas all these you know contorting limbs and body gore and the thing and stuff like that it all is very much what the air quotes baddies are in this i think if you like star wars and you like the fantasy element more you probably will but the sci-fi element is more of a a theme or like a sheen to it in a sense like I think it's kind of like an amalgamation of horror, sci-fi, and uh, fantasy. But I'd say it's probably like 40% horror, then like 30% uh, fantasy, and then like 20% sci-fi, and then other percent of other sort of stuff. Yeah. I guess spy. Spy. But spy stuff, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, hard. It, it, it's a hard one because it depends almost which issue you talk about. Right. Because there's, as you said, like it's one of the reasons we spoke, we're speaking about volumes one and two. We won't spoil things outright, but with both of these volumes, the reason they work so well together, because normally you would do one volume, I want to do both of them because they feel like one story. Oh, yeah. Not like when, when issue six ends, you're just like, yeah, that's kind of like a, a new paragraph, but it's not like a new chapter. It's not like a new, it's just like, oh, okay, I take a breath for a moment almost. Whereas, and then volume two is so much backstory. And it's really good. It's you've kind of half established these characters and then you give reasoning to why they probably were acting that way. And then you see them in a different kind of light in certain ways and you understand why they do what they do when major story beats happen. You understand character decisions because of these things. I'm kind of jumping ahead because you asked me about demons. But... No, 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 no. This is all good because this is, no, that's all perfect because I agree. The reason I, I just wanted to start there and, and mm. ask that question, like, you know, cause I'm always like, that is always the last question. Who's this for? But I, I, I wanted to start there this time because I'm like, who is this for? Mm. He's a big name so he can get yeah. away with stuff that you and I couldn't write. This couldn't be our first comic. Cause people were like, nope, mm. what the fuck? No. Whereas he's such a good storyteller, Kevin Scott, and he's got a built-in, um, you know, uh, fan base. And yeah. because of all those elements and the cover work, um, Corin Howell is the artist and uh, Triona Farrell is the is the colorist. Boy, mm -hmm. they fucking get your attention with 100%. their cover. And so, um, you know, and they do scare you. It is scary. It is a little grotesque. It would put, I think it's even grotesque. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, it's like the fly. It's like that kind of body horror where you're like, oh, I don't know that I want to look away, but I also don't want to see it. Ah! <laughs> That's how I feel reading this book, which is a good thing. So the reason I started at the end because, and so it's fine to jump ahead is because of all that. He does just drop you into a story. We meet our lead, um, Gina, and then we learn her backstory. And then we meet Coyle and we learn his backstory. And then we meet Sidhu and we meet her backstory. And we don't really totally get Hex's backstory until almost the end of these 10 mm -hmm. issues. And it's like this idea, like you talk about volumes and that's a newer thing in comicdom. When I was a kid, back in my day, 
We didn't do that. It was just a story and the arc could be two issues. It could be three. It could be 10. Max and I did Hard Traveling Heroes and we only did part of Hard Traveling Heroes. That was like a year long thing. And it rambled and it bumped into other books and whatever. And it wasn't designed. They didn't think about packaging comics that way. Where now everything, like Vault does five, Boom does five, DC and Marvel do six, some do eight, whatever, some do four. It's only four books like the new um, Keanu Reeves berserker it's every four is a value instead of like what what are we doing what's happening there's no rhyme <laughs> or reason here but it's like well that's when the arc ends so we're going to stop it so with this though you're right it's like the volumes are done because that's just the way publishing is done you're going to move more of those volumes than you are floppies so we're going to do it that way but it really is one story like you said it's just a new paragraph and i'm thankful that i just got to read them all in a row and i'm thankful that issue 10 ends in a place it is a period yes. so that if it takes three years for him to get back to shadow service, which it may as busy as he is, it's okay. Hmm. You know, so he did, he did make the choice to tell this really complex convoluted story. And that's why I also wondered, like it's, it's, oh, it's almost impenetrable if you weren't to start at the beginning, mm -hmm. it's like a yeah. novel. And that's what I love about it is it is, it's a full 10 issue story arc telling complicated stories of complicated three-dimensional characters in this weird demon-y science fiction horror world. Um, and I just think it's, it's so well done. And so do you think, because you've obviously read way more stuff of his than I have. And so do you think that um, like this story can only work in, in, in hands of somebody who's got 20 years of writing experience, who can, understands character in the way that he does, like just structurally, I'm not trying to like turn this into literature class, but like the structure of this is fucking brilliant. I could teach a class on this. Like if I wanted to teach someone structure, I could use these 10 books and show them, here's how you do it. Here's how you mm -hmm. don't have to, you don't have to have exposition, man. You can yeah. wait to be, yeah. Yeah, well, I would say um, he is it's still going, Shadow Service. I just noticed on Forbidden Planet and things there, uh, which is the comic story in the UK. Yeah. I think there's one in America as well, but that's where I get mine. Um, and they are, there's issues 13, I think, is that available for pre-order now and things like that. So mm -hmm. they are still going with this, which is cool. Um, and I will be checking those out. But with with Kevin Scott, I think, yeah, the his he did need some experience of this. And I think you see his, you know, writing audio dramas initially is different to writing... Um, like full novels which is also different to writing to comics because comics obviously a much more collaborative thing and he says in in all his interviews whenever he speaks about shadow service he says how important it was with corin horrell especially like how much they jived and worked together and brought his visions to life and so many things that he described and so he said it was such a collaborative thing so i think it was both of them in that first part but Thinking about when you say it was like impenetrable, like it, it made me think both Charles Saul and uh, Kevin Scott, I think are the main heavy hitters of Star Wars in the sense of epic, big, intense, stuffed stories. So like full yeah. to the brim of characters and lore and stuff. Like that's why Charles Saul started uh, Light of the Jedi, which is the High Republic Initiative. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of his other that works was that stuff. too was very good i don't i, I but again i just don't want to forget because i'm me but you're right when i say impenetrable too i don't mean in a mm. bad way i mean like no you got to have patience with it it's not yes. he's not he's writing to a smart audience and light of the jedi that was a that was heavy lifting for those first yes. 50 pages but he trusts soul he trusted us and yeah. i think that's what i love about what what kevin is doing is he's trusting us he doesn't he's not spoon feeding you he's 
he's making you earn it. And it's, it's risky for a writer because people are impatient. Um, so anyway, I'm sorry, but you're right. That's no, right. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly, that's the perfect apt well, comparison. I've heard people compare Charles Saul to Neil Gaiman. People saying he's sure. kind of like, he's, he's the way he's going. He's in terms of writing, you know, people generally often start later in their life. You know, normally you don't often get someone who's like, all the time he's like 16 and comes out and writes like a best-selling novel and then is is often more mid-20s or mid-30s and sometimes even 40s because writing is one of the very few things where you could almost be completely decrepit and still type or yeah. you know nowadays type you know sort of thing so it's like in that sense anyone no matter how old you get you write and so it's very rare for people who are big writers to really just stop writing they sometimes write stuff people don't want to read anymore or do different things like that's what kind of alan moore did a lot of different stuff but like people like neil gaiman like no one is no one that i know has been saying oh neil gaiman yeah his new stuff is nowhere near as good as old stuff they're saying it's still all amazing either in different ways or this stuff's better or that stuff but it's all so good and Charles Saul's career is going like that. Like you see, I've obviously only consumed his content from Star Wars. I do want to delve into other stuff, but you know, there's it's only good. so much time in there. There's day. some good stuff. He's got a lot of good yeah, stuff. Cause Daredevil yeah. and stuff is one of the big things I really and he want did to undiscovered read. country. Yeah. He's done, he's done so many cool things, but like I read his Darth Vader run. And it's like my favorite comic series of anything ever, bar Miracle Man, maybe. And there's a couple of other sort of big uh, DC things. But anyway, um, it's one of those things where Kevin Scott, I think as well is like Charles Saul. I think though that Kevin Scott and Charles Saul are this are not like Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman necessarily, but how big Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore are, they can go to those levels and be as different as those two are. Because I think where Kevin Scott's got the horror edge and more of the sci-fi element, whereas Charles Saul has got more of I, I don't know how to describe what Charles Saul has more of because I have not read his other stuff as well comparatively, you know. But I think Charles Saul is almost deep diving in known characters a lot in a way and he can go into those things or establish in a deep dive whereas Kevin Scott is like interweaving stories a lot of the time and kind of the connective like the feeling and the fear and things but that's obviously he's got the middle book and so I'm, I'm, I'm comparing it to the books now and it's kind of being unfair to comparing no Kevin no Scott, but that no but, but I think that's what I think this is a book I think this isn't I, I mean you're right because I'm, I don't want to discount what Howell does as an artist because he's amazing yeah but this like I said structurally this is like damn near perfect. And so the, yeah. I, I mean, I, the, I agree with everything you're saying. The comparisons are apt. I think, and as you guys talked about on book club, Sandman is impenetrable. The first, I mean, yes. it's like he, Neil Gaiman is making you fucking earn it. And what I love yes. about Kevin is he's making me earn it. And I appreciate that. Like I appreciate someone who says to me, come trust me on the ride. Cause he's giving us good characters. He's giving us snappy dialogue. The art is beautiful. And so you trust him. You know, you know, like whenever you hear somebody say like, well, you got it. Like, like you've always said that first season of, um, I can't even think of what the Star Wars show is. Um, Clone Wars. Clone Wars is like, fuck that show. Like you're like yeah. the first season, there's three episodes to watch. You were right about that. You were right. That is, a, but they also didn't know what they were doing with that show, right? 100%. It was a different audience at first. They weren't sure what they were doing. And then once they figured it out. So that's why it's that way. But if you look at it from the perspective of, we think we're selling this to seven-year-olds, that show's awesome. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, so that wasn't, that wasn't like you're coming along and you got to say to the reader or the viewer or the whatever, just get through these few. That's like, these are bad. Get through these few. Mm -hmm. This is like, get through the few because it's a journey. Kevin's mm -hmm. taking you on a really amazing journey here and it is thick with lore right from the beginning 
I, I won't tell you how many times I wrote down, because I lost track, wrote down her spells, Gina's spells, oh, trying yeah. to figure out the anagrams, writing them forward and backward. They're nothing, as far as I could tell. Did you crack the code on the- Oh, I didn't even spells? attempt that. No, I was just, I thought you meant just writing down like all the cool, amazing magic stuff that happens. That's where I think- No, no, like, I was no, actually trying to the figure spells out- itself, what no, the spells itself, no, I didn't even think about that. Because I, because again, immediately I'm like, oh, this guy, this guy's fucking doing something to me. He's- He probably is. And I don't know what the answer is, but it was just like when when uh, Paul and I did uh, Joe Hill's basketball of heads and we spent all that time talking about the fucking clocks. And then Joe Hill, we tweeted it at like Paul tweeted it at Joe Hill. And he's like, yeah, the clocks is just a mistake, you guys. Sorry. But we spent half the show talking about the time. <laughs> he's like, sorry, but we, because it's Joe Hill and you're like, he's got it. He's there's something going on. And that's why I feel that way about Kevin is like he really trusts me. And so I was so excited to spend time in this in this world because like from the jump, I'm like, oh, there's this, she does. And the fact that she doesn't know what is cool plot device to have your lead be unaware and just yes. be a, and not give a shit either. That's the best part. She doesn't care. Um, yeah. What a cool idea um, for Gina to be this witch. She's known she's been a witch since what she was six, seven. Yeah. And she just doesn't care. She knows the spells. They come to her. She does them. And it's like that latent ability. And there's that commentary there on things we're good at. Mm-hmm. There are things we are all just naturally good at. And there is an innate ability in us all. And so we, if you're really good at something too, or you're better, you can also be ostracized. And like smart women of a certain age and a certain time were considered witches. Women who were natural healers, women who had, we were talking about plants before we started recording. People who use plants to heal and stuff were witches. So there's this amazing commentary on the way that natural born gifts are considered freaky. Mm-hmm. It is, and maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's you know, maybe it's confusion, maybe it's zealotry. I don't know, but I just love the setup. And so it's just so good right from the jump. And I was just absorbed and I love it. And do you, what do you make of Gina's innate ability? Did you think, that, cause you said right from the top, there's no do sex machina bullshit in here, but we yeah. also admit there's no reason why Gina's how Gina is like right from the beginning, nobody knows for a while. So wh- no. were you okay with that? Did that piss you off? Did you care if you never found out? No, I think it's is very similar to kind of X-Men do it perfectly because X-Men, they go, oh, it's mutant, it's mutated genes. Like, but how's that work? And it's, there's, it depends on who the writer is, it would depend on go, oh, it's radiation or all the time, or it's like, oh, it's experimentation in some case, or it's this or it's that. No one who reads X-Men goes, mm, this story is good, but I don't know the exact <laughs> scientific reason why they're from mutated powers. You're like, holy shit, you reach puberty and you get powers maybe. That's such a, such an original idea. You've let you, the sky's the limit. You've, you've cracked superheroes. You've beaten origin stories. You don't have to waste hours having every single peter parker story you don't have to waste time doing that you just boom puberty you got it that's just why because and that's kind of how i felt with this it's just kevin scott has spent enough time i think writing where he kind of knows you meander around at certain points especially when you're trying to sell a new ip that you haven't got the weight of say star wars behind where people are just gonna like me i'm gonna read almost all star wars content anyway even if it's bad and even if people tell me not to i'm gonna try because i'm into star wars not people's opinions of star wars with this this is like I'm investing money into buying this new comic of this art of this um, author and artist and obviously other members of the collaborative team. And it's like, if I stop what consuming this, nothing else that I consume gets affected by it, like Star Wars would. If I miss out Kevin Scott's Star Wars book, you miss a, hu- a huge chunk of the High Republic and things won't make any sense. Whereas 
Well, they maybe would if you just read everything else apart from that, but that'd be a weird decision. This, if I don't read Shadow Service, I don't get Shadow Service. And that's the full stop. And that's the thing which I think connects when some people come off authors from knowing them from things like Star Wars or other big names. The problem is when, or DC Comics or Marvel, and they go, oh, this big, this guy handles Superman great. Let's have his indie comic. And then like, this isn't what I liked. It's like, no, because they're doing something different. That's the difficulty, I think. But with like, the characters, the way he does them, he does enough of both backstory, but also getting the plot moving. So it's kind of, he does breadcrumbs incredibly well and he likes repeating themes and dialogue gets said the same at the start of comics and often at the end or a recurring sentence with things changed slightly every so often. Like little hints like that that reward you from remembering and when you reread things. He does a lot of that and he does it once again in the High Republic. He's left trails of breadcrumbs that people haven't even discovered yet, which won't we won't know for years until the next phases come out and things. And with this, he does it on a much smaller scale. It's like you read this thing and you're like, I don't know what this is. And Gina's like, I don't give a fuck what this is. And you're like, okay, uh, right. Well, well, I want to know that. And you're like, well, if you want to know, we're probably going to tell you because the characters, it's not just there's a cool thing in the background. There's a smidge more of just that character makes an offhand comment about that. And then a little bit later on, something else happens kind of similar. It's not even a main thing. It's like an offhand comment again. And you're like, wait a minute. And then if there's a reveal of this thing's important, you go, of course it is. Yeah, I see that. But it's not done in a in a big twisty way. Like, ha, gotcha, you're stupid. It's more like, look, Gina's entering this world, but she already knows way more than you do, but she's kind of entering in. So there's certain stuff that you're like, oh, cool, what's that thing? She's not interested by that thing. She either knows what it is or has got her own shit going on. It's that element. So you're when you're with her, you're like, I want to know who she is. Why is she doing this thing? Why is she doing that? And because in the first issue, you immediately get flashbacks. You're like, okay, one of my favorite types of storytelling, and it is often cliche, and I think Marvel shows do it a lot now, is just that thing of you don't, a character starts a story here. I'm doing a video and you can't even see it. Yeah. It starts a story in a, at a point. And then as the plot moves forward, it does flashbacks. But the flashbacks yeah. start like X amount of time ago. And you're basically watching two concurrent stories, but the flashbacks are only small. You get like a little bit, just a really, a, a few pages in a comic or a, a minute or two in a show. And you just get a little bit. And then near a little the penultimate episode normally or something like that, you get it rewarded by it all making sense and then it runs smooth. I'd compare it to, this is very minor spoilers, but Memento, like it's been out for ages and I yeah. love that movie and I don't want Megan to hear me talk about that because I haven't shown her that movie. So oh. I want to see what happens. But if you see Memento, you that's what I mean. It's very, it's kind of like that in certain aspects and it's just the way she interacts with characters, I, I don't like it being like, boring stuff but the way she introduces them is you get the thought and she's not like you know this is eddie he's 26 years old he likes this and he does this one of his it's more just like um oh yeah here's eddie he's like a, a dick basically or whatever or i've known him for ages and then he just carries on and then a bit later on you get a little bit of oh how do they meet eddie how, how where is that but you still don't know who or what eddie really is and then once the story progresses more through Gina's story and the people she meets, you then get drips and drabs of each character she meets. And it starts to make this kind of, I'd visualize it like a pot of um, white paint. It might be because I'm painting my house at the moment. So, um, and dropping like globs of paint. And you know, as it splashes kind of over, it makes it bigger and bigger rings. It's kind of like that with each character. It just, and each character is like a different color and it slowly spreads out. And you've got this kind of, idea of not only this character's perspective but also a wider understanding of the actual state of the universe and the fact that it's in london which i obviously love because me and kevin scott obviously both english and kevin scott i think is the only high republic architect who's 
English as well. Right. You guys talked about that. Yeah. 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 I love it. Lots and of I, references. Yeah. I, I, it, I, it is all of that. Awesome. Beautiful. Agree with everything you're saying. I think. And for those of you, we'll spoil this. Eddie is a talking rat and that could mm-hmm. go either way. I could see a reader saying talking rat and being done, done, mm-hmm. done, done. Or somebody going, huh, like you and I did. We're like, what? And they don't explain it. No. We don't understand why Eddie's because because and the and there's a misdirect and I don't want to give this away. There's a misdirect about Eddie the talking rat pretty mm-hmm. early on with one of Gina's powers and the way that she works on other animals, like as a a Doctor Doolittle, as it were. Um, so you're like, oh, it's Eddie's not magic; she's magic. Like it sets you up and it fools you for a second, and then shit goes in. You know, we we learn more about Eddie as we go, but it's so smart. And again. Lots of people could have closed the book. They're like, I don't fucking want to watch Ratatouille, the comic book. I'm done. <laughs> but which that movie is, in my opinion, objectively terrible. And I know people love Ratatouille. Really? Yeah, I hate it. Wow, I know a lot of people who think it's I, one of the best. I know. I, I think it's all right. I think it's quite middle ground. I, when yeah. I watched it once, I was like, meh, it's all right. I know Megan loves it. it could so be I, don't think because her I know I, Megan I does. And I think the problem is, is we were trapped on a plane on an on a runway. Uh, in Denver on our way to Hawaii and uh, we got snowed in and because they changed the planes it was a whole dicky thing they were trying to save money by sending us in a smaller plane and by doing that we got stuck in the ice storm but if we had just taken off in the fucking plane we were supposed to take off on they lost we like we lost a whole half a day like we lost 12 hours of our time in Hawaii so fuck you that those people but it once we're on the plane and we're waiting in line to get our wings de-iced they just started showing us stuff so Ratatouille was on the rotation of things to watch. So it's like, fuck you, movie. Fuck everything about <laughs> you. So I have no, it could be amazing. And I just have. Uh, but the point of that is that could be a turnoff because it's there. That's a thing. You have to be open. When you go into this, yeah. it's not like, it's not one of those things where you have to be open to weird, crazy shit that you're not going to believe in a sense of it's so bizarre. It's hard to grasp. It's not that. It's just, if you go into a book like, anything from alan moore or anything from your game and as i've explained you know you if you go to read miracle man and you're like i just want something cool with spider-man or batman beating up villains it's like you won't get that at all you'll get this rumble of background lore and information and stuff that kind of bubbles over the surface and it takes you on a slow guide like really slowly surfing and then there's normally a moment an event a panel something something massive happens often it's to do with someone dying in a horrendous way and something like that and you're shocked and you're immediately like whoa okay and from that and it's 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 a lot of the time it's mystery wrapped up in things but not just like mystery so you have no idea what's happening it's a you are intrigued by the world you're kind of walking through this new, like a forest and you're like this place is really cool but there's like a creature that's leading you and you're like i'm admiring the forest as i'm walking but i'm kind of following this this being in a sense and it's kind of like that and then you get to this big open clearing and you're like oh when people told me about this place now i see what everyone was going on about i was kind of kind of warming you up in a way and i think it does it it's like law and story bombs in a really good way where a big thing happens and you're like wow and it doesn't feel cheap it doesn't feel like they're doing it for the sake of it it feels like this would a actually work and happen in the the plot but also it changes so much in such interesting ways. And then you're so much more intrigued of where is this going to go? Yeah, I agree. And I think it's when you say mystery, this is mm. a Nancy Drew mystery. I know they say James Bond, but it's, I mean, it's a spy. They make spy jokes. And yeah. um, one of the articles I read from sci-fi um, channel was like Tinker Taylor soldier, Witch. and mm. I don't, I, and I get it. I get that you're saying that you say, witch, and, and because 
the group, the MI, um, Section 26, MI666, are technically a government organization, but it is, Gina is much more of a Nancy Drew, Miss Marple type than she is James Bond to me. 100%. The James Bond character is uh, Sidhu, who's fucking amazing and heartbreaking. And I, I love her and feel terrible for her. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, again, Scott's, uh, um, I mean, both Coyle and Sidhu have, have very tragic backstories. And yeah. so, and I don't, again, we don't want to spoil too much, but I know we want to talk about all these amazing characters and everything. And this is a good way to not spoil anything. We just kind of talk about the people. But yeah. um, Sidhu's story, without spoiling too much, because she tells us this right away, she literally has no feelings. I mean, I was like devastated because when you first meet her, you're like, because Gina's your point of view character. So you're on Gina's team. But yeah. what this story does is it makes you change teams all the time. And again, when we get when we wrap up, we'll definitely talk about who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and what that even means. But what do you make of her? Do you like her as a character? Do you think that's a cheat to have? Because if you have a character who has no emotions, then it seems there'd be no story there, but it's a really compelling story. And again, so amazing. I think I'm not putting words in your mouth. I think she's amazing. Well, her name is not said that much. I've got her actually written down as Wraith One. Because Wraith One, yes. That's, th- what, that was, that's, that's what how you calls her. I think, yeah, that no one else, I think Coyle does call her Sidhu, but like, yeah. it's mainly Wraith One for, for yeah. the vast majority. And like you, this is a very mild spoiler about if you're planning on reading this, when her backstory comes up, oh. and I will say it's volume two, it's right at the start. And it's like, when you yeah. when you get it, and the thing that I found with it, and once again, I I'm not going to say what happens in that backstory, but one of the moments before that, you kind of get this drop of it. I think in the issue beforehand, I think, but it starts off with she goes, she like skydive, she like uh, parachute jumps she, off, like halo jumps, yeah, 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 yeah. She jumps straight off in like a city, and then gets arrested by the police, and she's just like. I'm just doing these things just to see if anything can make me feel anything. I kill all these people. I do all these things. I've tried everything and I just feel exactly the same. And it's like, that is torture. And she's like, I'm only doing this because there's nothing really else to do. I don't know what else to do. I might as well just, if I don't care, I might as well just kill things and save the world, I guess. But I'm not happy because I, I literally can't experience anything. So I'm just this machine. I'm basically a tool. And Hex is just like, yeah, you're just, I'm going to use you as you want you'll find to be used so perfect yeah. you're the ultimate soldier you're willing to die in battle because you literally care about nothing so you just go do what i say i guess it's like because you don't care it's an interesting character and i think the series would have suffered if she was like the central because i don't think the weight would have worked but with someone like gina where you've got like um you know she grew up there's foster care stuff there's homeless she's had so much trauma and she's this unfathomably powerful being but she's also a young woman in london that's essentially like homeless or very poor. And then she's a, like a PI. So it's like this, it's very much like Jessica Jones in a lot of yeah, ways. A lot of ways. They got that yeah. vibe of that kind of the loner drinks, tortured soul, doesn't want to talk about it, but has seen some shit, you know, and a lot of it in some ways can be considered self-inflicted. And that's just part of who they are as a character. And because of that, they've got this demeanor around them where it's just like, they don't want to be interested by anyone. They don't really want to do anything, but then they just, they kind of find themselves in these positions. And that's one maybe mild issue to begin with, where she's just kind of, she's swept up in it. She has no choice. But then there's a point where she, because of her not having a choice, that becomes a, an actual central plot line. So instead of it being something that one may consider to be problematic, it, the character realizes that and is like aware of the fact that they aren't choosing to do these things and realizing it may not be the right thing to do. And so it ends up, you know, without spoiling anything, but you can see where it starts to, 
unravel and her perspective works so well because she's this she's a character that's perceived as unstable but it's really she's more just kind of she's very balanced in certain ways but she's kind of like chaotically balanced so it's kind of like someone has put some uh, weight on a scale and someone's just dropped something of equal weight on the other scale and they're just going up and down constantly and almost by the end of it they've kind of evened out because it is the same weight she's just dealing with all the stuff at the same time and not actually really dealing with it because she's had so much pain she doesn't want to talk about it she doesn't want to open up to people don't want to be vulnerable and it's that sort of element if you know what i mean i do i and it's what i what i think is really interesting is you because gina is the most human of them even yes. though she's the most also the most powerful because their other yeah. characters are a 400 year old boy mm-hmm. um and a ghoul uh named named uh coil who um has to eat people and it mm. sucks. And he's like turned turn into cannibal. And the interesting things is because Coyle's a cannibal and Sidhu is this, you know, unfeeling uh, zombie soldier. And Hex mm. is a 400-year-old demon boy. But everything you just described happens to all of them. So that yeah. actually leads. So we learn that, and again, no spoilers, but Coyle is not there of his own volition. Sidhu mm. is not Wraith One. And I love you're right. They do call that that depersonalizes her even more. Like yep. Coil is is Wraith Two and ultimately Gina will become Wraith Three, we assume. Mm-hmm. Um but like because they don't have any choice. Like Hex has them over a barrel. They're all in there. But because we relate, we see it happen to Gina, then we realize, oh shit, they're all here for this. None of them really want to be here, but they also can't not be there. So my big question is do you think Hex wants to be? Is Hex really the boss? No, I don't. I was actually just thinking that. Yeah. Like, so Hex, Hex in this show, in this comic, I mean, we haven't even spoken about Gideon. Yeah, um, we, we need to talk amazing. about Gideon too. Yeah. But like every character in this, you realize they all kind of want the same thing. And that's one of the, the elements. And this isn't spoilers. This is just from the first comic, you get this. Yeah. And this is never necessarily incorrect, but it's just... They all want the same thing. They want the world to not be overrun by demons and everyone get massacred. That's, And this is one of the reasons that a lot of them clash and there's different agendas. It's that age or tale of, you know, do the ends justify the means? And it's what one defines the, the ends are. And it's like almost the characters of authority kind of scale up in what they're willing to do. And in that realm, at some point, she said slightly earlier, you're like, at some point you're like on one side, then the other side. And it's just like, such perfect storytelling and i've written down uh, one of my notes is just there is the good and evil the line between them is blurred e- like the evil maybe not necessarily evil but it's kind of like there is evil in this there are demons who will just eat and destroy and kill people but that's not what the focus is necessarily it's like no there's these demons getting through and doing horrible terrible shit around but they're kind of getting stopped for the most part what you need to worry about is who are the people kind of taking care of them it's like who watches the watchman you know, it's like you get this group of superheroes who keep all the criminals in line. Yeah, but what happens if one of those goes out of line? Who controls them? Oh, it's someone higher. And then this web starts to unravel. You think MI666 is the only thing like that. And then things start to unravel and you're like, oh no, MI6 is like a single door in like a hotel complex of what the universe in Shadow Service actually is. And Gina was in like the hallway. Right. <laughs> She's opened one door and you're there as well. And it's like, then you get to kind of see through the keyholes of other places. And there's that amazing scene with the contact lenses and you just, and that's that perspective shift. Um, but anyway, with hex, no, I don't think hex is, I, I realize no. I keep doing this, but hex no, is, go. This I don't is the think any of, the of them are, just I don't think any right. of them are necessarily uh, have are happy, but I think they all do things 
that they feel like they have to do. And that's why when they get into situations like I just mentioned with the contact lenses, where it looks like I love it's it's a quite a trope, but I love it when it's like the world is not how you see it. Look, you're just a measly mortal here. Yeah. Take this pill or this injection or put something over your eyes and you'll see what the world really is and everything's all fucked up and whatever. I love that stuff. I'm a sucker for it. And so it's the opening of the world. It's the start of Harry Potter when the doors, you know, everything yeah, yeah. like that is, is fantasy to its core. But because of Kevin Scott, when you have these moments, it's not like, oh my God, look at this amazing world. It's like, no, look, this is horrible. Fucking horrific. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> terrifying. It's kind of like... In certain ways, it reminds me of, like Hellboy too. Is like Hellboy has that vibe to it in a way. He's kind of the middle. He wants to kind of be normal, but you know, because we're saying about the Hellboy stuff off air, I think. But yeah. you know, it's that sort of thing. So I don't even know what the. Oh, I remember. Yeah, the, the characters. Yeah. No, they're just all doing it because they they kind of have to, but they're all they willing to go to. different lengths to yeah. get that. Well, and what and and so are they all coerced? Is is Hex the big bad? Is Gideon? So Gideon is kind of like a uncle. Like, like a he's mentor un- kind of thing. Yeah, to uh, to Gina. And mm-hmm. he's the guy who's like looking out for Gina by like throwing her work and whatever. And she doesn't know what he's really into. And it seems like he and Hex are adversaries. But really, they're, I think that uh, Lady Yastrick, who's our big, big bad in this run, is set them up to be mm-hmm. against each other. Like they, she's playing chess and they're the pieces is how yeah. I feel. Like, they they're on opposite sides of the chessboard because they think they should be on opposite sides of the chessboard. But they're cho- my opinion is they're both both um, Gideon and Hex, who seem to be like leaders of their own, you know, their kings on their own board, mm. are not. They're really just pawns. That's how I read it anyway. Yeah. No, I if they could gain sentient, like as the story unfolds, and then you get to that moment of realization. And this is like the deep, the deep thing for me reading this book and sitting with it is when you come to the moment of realization, and this is outside of the demon world, this is just what I sit with. You know, when I read a book, I sit with it, even if it's just a dumb, you know, whatever, even if it's just some, you know, punchy, punchy superhero book, there's something going on. There's something I want. I generally want to sit with it, unless it's Sharknado. And then <laughs> I'm just having a great time. But um, what I think about is, at the moment of real, and you've already touched on it, but at the moment of realization for all of our characters, even the lady, Yastrick herself, when you come to the moment of realization that that's all there is, or that's what you're doing, and you know you're being manipulated, what do you do? What's the next choice that you make? Like, what is the next thing that you do when you find out your boss is an asshole? Do you keep doing the job because the job is important? Were you manipulated into thinking the job is important or is the job genuinely important? And then the bigger question is, is even if it's all bullshit and you're just in the hallway in the corridor to the door to the universe, is that important enough to you? And that's to me is what this is all about when it comes down to it is what does this all mean to them? Regardless, yeah. like they want to there. You learn early on that Jean is good, good person. Mm-hmm. The way that she wants to finish up her, the, the, she's a PI, like you said, and she wants to finish that job regardless. She's willing to like literally tr- almost kills herself to do the right thing for a client who probably paid her next to nothing. But there's an honor there. And that is such great storytelling. What we see what she does to, to save some douchebag who's, you know, just like white guy with a picture of a boat as his avatar. That's who that guy is. She saves him because she's a good person. And so then you, you're left sitting like, well, fuck, man. It all seems 
so pointless, but it matters to you. And so I love that I was sat with this like really deep seated, like philosophical quandary in a horror fantasy sci-fi book. Mm, yeah. The characters are so well done and there's actual loss in this. And that's something that Cameron Scott does really well as well. Like that's one of the interesting things when you have new IPs and things, it's like you have, you can't just do game of Thrones because well, a game of thrones is a book anyway doing game of thrones a comic i think would be near on impossible it would be so weird you'd have to do like one a one b one c and they're all <laughs> co-connor at the same time then you go on to a it would be because um, there's so many characters and stuff everyone has like one page but with, with I, I mentioned game of thrones because obviously game of thrones is renowned for uh people dying all the time like no character is safe in air quotes but with new ips unless you have a lord of the rings or game of thrones size world you can't just kill characters off immediately that's just you, because then the, they just become, oh, that's the guy who died at the start. So in this, when you have characters actually die and it means something, it, it takes a lot of skill to be able to do that in barely any pages. You know, you read a Batman comic and you read one where, you know, Catwoman dies or something in an Elseworlds comic. Even though it's Elseworlds, you're still like, oh, that sucks because I know Catwoman, you know. Yeah. When you see any variation of Spider-Man get the shit kicked out of them, that's always sad because you know to the core that Spider-Man is good. When you have a, characters like this, when no one is seen as good immediately, but you get the breadcrumbs, you get Gina, she's kind of, she almost doesn't want people to know she's good. And that's kind of that sort of, you know, she has that teenage angsty vibe in a way where she's just like, she doesn't, she, she just doesn't want to be bothered with the world. She's kind of wants to live her life. She's got these Even the way she's she, dressed. Yeah. She's trying her best to be unnoticed. Like, yeah. what is the thing that everybody else is wearing? I will wear that. That's yeah. who she just, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And she just wants to, kind of, yeah, she's got these powers and she will use them to save people if it comes to it you know but she's not going to like formulate a plan to save the universe she's at the start she's just she just wants to live her life it's that kind of that thing of like a lot of people when they get and this i think relates to x-men again is like just because you have these powers and as you said earlier and what she says just because you're good at something doesn't mean you necessarily want to do it but you feel like you kind of have to so you get in these situations you're like yeah i'm a I'm a PI and oh, it turns out something I'm trying to track down is so a demon. I thought it was just something else. And it's like, okay, I, I know magic, so I will deal with this demon. And then you do that. And then it's like all these things start to happen around them. And you have to actually care about the characters when that's happening. Otherwise you're like, I don't give a shit why this person dies or why that person does that. And that's what, but it also doesn't bore you. It doesn't go issue number two, cool. No. Now starts with Coil. Now Coil is this and Coil is that. And when Coil was a boy, it was this. And then you get one whole issue of Coil and you're like, who the fuck is this? But instead you get, here's a dude doing stuff. And the way he's introduced is really interesting in that issue too and stuff. And you're like, what, what, who's this? What's Did going on? Did not see that coming at all. No. And what it, what it, that, it, when you meet Coil and the, yeah. the misdirect, mm. fuck man, that was so well done. Because Brilliant. you are suckered in just like Gina. That was yeah. like, and I'm sure there's somebody who's going to say, no, no, I knew. Good for you. You who read it and who knew the reveal of Coil. You're and Fight Club impressive. and every other, every right. twist that's ever been in cinema. Right. You've always you're known. awesome. You knew yeah. who, you knew it all. Uh, <laughs> you knew who Kaiser Sose was. For the rest of us, we're like, what? That was so fucking cool. I loved being surprised. I loved being surprised. I was like, what? A brilliant twist. I thought it was mm. super cool. Yeah. I, I, and again, I don't, I mean, I know I'm totally like just fanboy gushing, but it's so good because it's so smart and I just like smart shit. I don't, I again, I do want Sharknado and I do want Batman to punch guys and I want Nightwing to do quips. I love Dick Grayson quips. Give me those all day long. And I want something smart too. You know, like I, it can't, it can't just all be, you know, candy canes. You got to have dinner. And this is just, 
this is going back to what you guys said on book club about Sandman, and I love the comparison to Neil is this is like a really good piece of literature. Mm. I it's think adult. it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Mature. Like you know, I, I can't remember if this is actually classed as teen, teen or mature. I think it's, it's M because there's, there's some fuck oh, and then all the oh, gore okay. and there's lots right. of, uh, lots of boobs. Oh, yeah, of course there is. Yeah. Obviously, they're not like sexualized for the most part. They're not like sexualized boobs. It's like crazy no, no. demon with like a crazy demon it's boobs. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like the, not the same. Um, yeah. With that, so it's mature. That makes sense. But it's, it's something for adults. It's kind of when Kemsko says it's like Doctor Who and James Bond, but even both of them are like PG 13. Correct. You know I mean, like, like it's there's Bond things that haven't aged very well. And I, I'm controversially, I'm not actually that much of a fan of Bond. Uh, I've only seen a few, but. I'm, I'm at some point probably going to watch more of them, but things. But beside the point, I've never been that into Bond. Like spy stuff is cool to me, but I'm I'm such a fantasy and lore. I'm like, hey, yeah. yeah, give me give me that story, but I don't want the espionage stuff necessarily. Just plonk that story with just loads more cool shit. Just let, that's all I want. Like more of the Q magic. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy, cr- cr- like the weapon. Like why? Well, basically, Men in Black for me. You know, I like Men in Black over 007 because sure. Men in Black is I'm. I'm fine that. with crazy over like campness in a sense. That's what people described Star Wars as in the early days, especially even I think Alec Guinness described it as that. You know, it's to its core, it's a dude in robes swinging about a glowing sword, talking about basically magic. I was like that, a giant describing magic it glowing like that, penis. Well, yeah, exactly, very phallic. And it's like these things are like, oh, that sounds kind of lame. Oh, and there's a giant slug who's bad guy, and there's a bad guy with a breathing thing. And you're like, if you describe it in a the kind of not flippant in a like a, a dismissive, just kind of layman's termsy way you're like yeah because there's no fucking magic there if you talk about everything clinical but if i want to have storytelling that's fiction i want all the bells and whistles i don't mind reading stories and crazy shit happens i just want it to work inside and i want the storytelling to be the main vessel i want there to be a great spy story but i don't want everything around it just to be spy-esque necessarily if you have the capabilities and the art style and all these elements to be like let's have a cool spy story at its kind of core but let's wrap it in lore and crazy demons let's make the kind of air quotes if we compare it to a tv show let's make the filler missions where you're just there's time here for a character to grow slightly over time in these periods but let's make the thing they're doing still really cool let's still make it so that you're like oh my god that's and you, you kind of misdirected to what where the plot is even going because there's like an overarching story but you don't really get what the story is till probably issue four or five and then even then because obviously volume two it it takes it in another direction where it's like you think, oh, this is going to be a gang of people of MI6, 66, and there's going to be a big bad, and there's going to be, you know, they're killing demons and doing kinds of cool stuff, and yeah. Gina's becoming more powerful, and there's going to be a big bad demon. And it's like, no, no, that those are things they 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 think that's what they are doing in the story. That's what the characters, they're like, we're here to kill demons. That's what we're here for. And then when the cracks start to show around them and you get to see the more overarching elements of it, that's what's kind of drawing you along i'd say that's what makes me want to read this more than certain other supernatural monster of the week things you know oh, because you've got that amalgamation i totally agree and that's what i was saying before is because to me it's it is like a, it it is something to sit with because everything yeah, you said is true you are not all like everything is more than one thing Everything is everything, everything to everybody, right? So if you want to just read a super kick-ass spy supernatural story, it's there for you. It's beautiful. Mm. The art is beautiful. Corin's art, art so is beautiful. Much. It's some of my favorite comic art ever. I oh think. my God, Feral's Colors. 
Yes, hundred percent. The oh my god, it's All beautiful. It's, it's some of the best visual comic reading I've ever. It done. is. You will you will get everything you want. But if you're done and you just want to sit with it for a while, and when you finish reading it, don't then go pick up Daredevil right away. Don't go yeah. pick up. Sit and read Daredevil. By the way, I mean I'm not saying don't read Daredevil. Fucking Daredevil's great. But what I'm saying is. <laughs> To me, and I think it's because it's hitting me like at a moment in life, you know, where it's like there's change happening at my workplace and I'm always struggling. Like I'm at this point where what do I want to do? I'm young enough still that I've got a lot of energy that I want to give to work outside of just teaching. But I'm also old enough to say like, I fucking did this stuff already. You know, I'm like, I'm at that weird place in time where it's like, what do I, what do I want to do? What is, where does my energy best spent? And then once you kind of become administration a little, and I'm not, I'm a teacher, but I do lots of, you know, behind the scenes work. Once you see how the sausage is made, you don't want the sausage anymore, right? I mean, that's why that, that's what that phraseology means. And that's what this is. And like you said, the cracks, once Gina and Coyle and Sidhu and Wraith One know what, how the sausage is made, because Coyle and, and Wraith One have already known, and that's Gina's mm -hmm. turn to learn. She's our point of view character. She still is like, oh, well, you know, I mean, the job is important enough, even with all the bureaucratic nightmare. And I think like bureaucracy is the death of humanity, right? To me, it's mm -hmm. like you can say whatever you want about all the things that are awful in the world. And there's a lot. Bureaucracy is the worst. And, you know, because like on a personal level, not on a big level, we all agree Nazis are the worst. I'm not saying bureaucracy <laughs> is worse than Nazis, but at the, but at the heart of it. Nazism is a weird bureaucracy, right? And that's always the line. We were just doing our jobs. We were just following orders. Well, that's some bullshit. And you have to make that case. Like, what does Gina want to do? Does she just want to work for MI666? Does she just want to follow orders? She has a choice to make. And I think there's a really amazing mirror for us to look at ourselves in all this cool stuff that Mike has described. I mean, we spent all this time saying how cool it is. It's cool. We've said, cool. This is the cool podcast. We've said cool more times. Than we've neither yeah. of us have ever said cool in the last 50 years because it's fucking cool. But it is so I just sat with this book, man. I really and it could just be. But I think we've all been there. You've all been at a crossroads in your life. You've all been at a job where you have to make the decision. Does the work that I do is the work more important than the job? Mm. And Gina decides as a PI working for Section 26, the work is more important than the job. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, uh, that's how I feel. I mean, I just I'm so glad you introduced it to me because I wouldn't have found it. And um, I, I really love it. And I really think it is it's a it's a way homer. And now talking to you about it even more makes me love it even more. Yeah. And when I because I read it a little while ago before my chat with Kevin Scott and then I reread it to obviously do this podcast and like I wrote notes and I was like oh yeah that bit and oh yeah that bit and that's what you always want you want rereadability on these sort of things oh and yeah. I was just when I read it the first time I was like wow the story is brilliant it's so clever you know twists and turns or whatever all these things and you're like oh wow this is so well done and so cool and like if we say cool a thousand there it times. is yeah but then you the artwork when I was going back to it I was like I remember in my mind how well how good it looks it's like artistic and then there's just certain panels where I think I said, I think early on, but like the body gore or the demon design and things like Corin Howell, just phenomenal. Like absolutely. Yeah. Applause to them because I, the artwork in itself, they would be phenomenal posters for any people who are into like, I'm wearing a top actually, um, which only Tony can see, but it's yeah. like, a, it's I like um, it. La Morte clothing. And it's just like, I really like like sort of gothic -y artwork. And yeah. It's just it's awesome. It's cool. And it's, 
it's just things like, like like i'm not saying i love skulls necessarily all the time but like i like tasteful gothic art in certain ways and even like you know one could say like hg geiger was his name that the one did like alien xenomorphs and things like that like that sort of style is that how you say his name you, you don't talk- know the, no. the guy who designed uh, alien xenomorphs it's i don't know who that is he like the xenomorphs from the alien series yeah 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 oh, i didn't know his name yeah he's got like an art book out and things it's, well now um, i need that yeah, he, he's. Um, I'm surprised you don't know because the greatest horror film of all time is Alien. So I guess I, I am sad that I didn't know who invented. I guess I just always gave Ridley all the credit. Oh no, it's um yeah because I'm just trying to find. Yeah, here we go. Um, H.R. Geiger, sorry, H.R.G.I.G.E.R. Yeah, hmm. he's um. I would he, say Geiger for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he he created loads of really really cool artwork and things, but his is a lot more sort of nightmare sci-fi. You know that sort of sort of element. Um, I'll show you. You may be able to look it up, but like you can't see it because. Oh yeah, no, I can see it. But oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. So it's like those sorts of. I like artwork like that. I like it where you could take away all the art and all the story and everything, and just be like, "This could be in a museum somewhere," and you could walk past it and go, "What do you think of that?" And you could go, "It looks like a hellish nightclub of some sort," but it's so. They put so much effort in. There's no like wasted space in the background, but it's not like overly. It's not overly busy either. And let's just shower with the lettering as well. And this is one of the things when I when I was going through or reading all the Carnage uh, comics and things because mm-hmm. I, I love symbiotes. So I decided to read basically every, relatively every Carnage appearance there is, all the way up to Absolute Carnage um, in the Marvel Unlimited app and things. I read so much of it, and very early on they have it so his speech bubbles are like red with like white writing compared to you know Spider Man's his own thing, and then everyone else is the standard you know black and white comic sans you know the, the general standard font and then i found that comics especially recently where they got more and more budget and when there's like a lot of symbiotes in there especially and i know that dc do it quite a lot of like the joker's voices in a specific font and so is batman's and things like that and you you get the sound associated with what the voice is saying and there's beings in this which are beyond gina or hex or anyone like that like they're near gods basically and that comes into it at some points but not in how one would expect but when they talk and the way their speech is different and so you get the feeling immediately. And it's something that I've only really understood over the last few years of reading more comics. It's just like, I love it when you just, not every character has to have their own font, but when you have certain characters and then you get two characters whose voices are written in the same way, but they're two seemingly unconnected beings. It's like, are they connected? Or is it because their power levels are similar? How are they vocalizing? And you're there and you're thinking the font's big. The words are written in a different way. So compared to how you and I would talk is different to how this being is communicating. And something as simple as lettering and the font used and the way it's put on the page, mixing with the beauty of the artwork, it just helps Kevin Scott's story so well. And they all just deserve so much credit because especially just rereading it, it it just looks so nice in a way. And there's so many unique beings in it. And this is something that would, I know you comics should not have to always be turned to series but this is the kind of thing where this could easily have its own proper tv show like and it, should, if actually. it had the right amount of budget and if it was allowed to be the dead like someone who directed like deadpool or whatever that sort of idea where you have that degree of kind of or maybe not deadpool but you know the gore is tasteful in it it's not necessarily overly gratuitous apart from the times it needs to be but it works really well in that kind of adult setting and it's a dark heavy mature tale but it's not just doom and gloom there are fun moments and it's not like it's not a heavy read in the same way that say uh sandman is necessarily or or like miracle man necessarily 
is kind of in a way where most things are in, not necessarily important, but the more you read it, the more it kind of expands the same space in a way. It fills up the space. And then at certain points, the space expands a bit rather than just being this big, open, ethereal things, vaguely connected. It's very tight. It's very compact. I describe yeah. it as I think. I agree. Well, as you're thinking about it, I just did a quick look up. It was Stephen Norrington directed The First Blade. And all I can think of, and I think there's a few scenes in this that made me think of the Blood Rave at the beginning of yeah, Blade. Yeah, at the start. I thought um, that earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't it's, say it. It's, so that, if you're going to get, I don't know if Stephen Norrington, what Stephen Norrington's doing. Or but Blade 2, Gilda Toro, because Gilda well, I prefer Toro. Blade 2. He did, and he did the Hellboy. He did Pan's Labyrinth and the yeah, Hellboy yeah. movies, yeah. No, that's a, all that's great. A, and his visuals would work very well with this. Yeah, I agree. And I think, and it, and it captures that. It is very, very much that. And I think my favorite panel, I agree, and world design is the letterer here. And and world design, sometimes it will tell you which member of and world design is the letterer and sometimes it doesn't. It's a collective mm-hmm. of letterers, but they do a lot. They're everywhere. They're bang. It's great work. Um, when Paul and I talked about Cowboy Ninja Viking, Clayton Coles is the star of that book as the letterer. And he's he does a lot of Marvel stuff as well. I've seen Clayton, on I yeah, think yeah. both Star I had Wars his and Carnage. Dad and on my show. Oh wow. Yeah, his dad did the They Might Be Giants comic. Oh, nice. Yeah, isn't that so, and I had no idea. And when I was talking to his dad, he's like, My son's in comics, Clayton Coles. I was like, What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, very cool. But yeah, so my favorite panel is there's a uh, time loop panel. I forgot page. to mention that. For yeah. Oh, sake. My, and I don't want to give you some of my favorite. Yeah, I don't want to say anything about it. But it's probably some of my. When people know, you're all will say is halfway through. I think volume two ish. There's a, a moment that repeats itself, and that's all we'll say about it. And well, no, oh, Tony will say more, but that's all I want to say is just, and it is probably one of my favorite moments in the whole. It's so good. So good. There's like, and again, it's like you let the vision and again it's that ability of the writer to get out of the way and trust the artist as opposed to and that's what i was just talking to ibrahim he said you know when he writes draws his own stuff it's fine but he doesn't he turned down an artist job where it was like so prescriptive and he didn't get a chance like as the artist they weren't giving him anything to work with and then the reason he liked working with jody hauser star wars is because (laughs) she gives him a cinematic script so she gives him room to play and i i feel like the panel we're talking about, well, all the panels, but like Corin shines, but some of these splash pages, there's a there's a trippy Alice in Wonderland, creepy as fuck party, tea party, sort of with all the cakes and shit on it. Love that scene. It's so good. So there's just, visually, this is one of those ones where you want to go back. This is, as you said, it's rereadable for all of the reasons we've said, but the art makes it uh, just, you can even, once you get the story down, now, you know, the beats go back and just take a look. Don't hmm. don't even read. Look at the background because there's extra layers of shit going on. Oh, look what's in the background. Look what Hex has on the wall there. Look at that. Hmm. So it's like and there's a scene where they're in an underground layer and there's a painting that's partially covered up. And I'm watching it. I'm like zooming in to see if I can figure out what the painting is. I'm like, why is it partially co- like, is that Dorian Gray's? Is that Dorian Gray? Like, <laughs> are we in that world? You know, it's like so good it's so good and we could go on and on but unfortunately our time is almost up my friend so i, I know is. you took 20 pages of notes and i took a, a page front and back and we talked about six things but that's how we a good con- a good chat goes when you're talking always, to Mike, it's always a good chat we, it's always lovely and i will just say last thing with art and like not necessarily my favorite panel but it, it probably is one of them apart from the 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 repeating one that we said about is when you first see what hex really is oh not- not his origin, but when it's like him cross-legged and then behind him, you see like an ethereal so, 
Amazing. You, that is did not I see that coming. It. I didn't no. see that coming. Right. And then when you get his backstory at the end, yeah. I, honestly, again, tragedy. It's all tragedy. Nobody's backstory is without real, true emotional trauma. And, and it's all science fiction, fantasy, horror. So you're like, oh, it's not real. But again, because these are real characters and that's what makes you feel for them. It, it's, you know, uh, if you do a bad job setting up your character, then nobody gives a shit, right? Yeah. The, the drama matters. The, the pain matters, even if it's in sci-fi, fantasy, horror. It, it, if you wanted people to read it, you need to care about these people. Yeah, and very quick as well is Brit. It's got a lot of British uh, references and funny things that relate to sort of British things, and it's based in London, which I appreciate because most comic books are almost. Mega made this point before where, when we watch Marvel shows, and when I spoke about comics, she's like, "Why is every single superhero in New York?" And I'm like, "I don't know." It's I know just- why all the Marvel ones are because Stan Lee said I could look out my window and I could just draw. I could just make it be there. Yeah. It was just because it's what he knew. Yeah, that's fair. Well, obviously, when you see something, when you read Miracle Man, things like that, you get it. Where, and the Vendetta, yeah. obviously, because Alan Moore being British, you're like, oh yeah. my God, this is when you're a British person, you're like seeing these things. Like, there's that scene in, in Miracle Man in the, like, the London Bridge and all that sort of stuff. And the Big Ben is like, it, it means more. So, when you're seeing these characters run around London and they are British characters, there's little bits and pieces and certain when the, the text is written in certain slang. It's not like actual full on, you don't understand what they're saying, slang, but it's like just an apostrophe here or there that wouldn't be there necessarily in, in other ways because he's British. So I like the British isms of it as well. Yeah, no, and that makes it, and again, makes it a lived in world. And I like it. I like when you put it in a real place because mm-hmm. again, it, it roots you. This is all fantasy and demons and horror, but London's real. It's not in London, it's not in fake town. I mean, Lord of the Rings are all really great. And I love those books and I just reread them. But Middle Earth is fake. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like it takes it takes you a while. But of course, you know, Tolkien is such a detailed writer that you feel like you're smelling every blade of grass in the Shire. However, it's still not real. Gotham isn't real. Metropolis isn't real. There's something about the threat of London or New York or, you know, Akron. Nobody, nobody makes a comic in Akron. But Akron, <laughs> Ohio, we're here for you. Um, anyway. This was good. We already we started at the end because who is it yep. for? We already talked about that. So thanks for recommending this. Thanks, Kevin, for introducing us to this. I appreciate it. And I hope I hope he listens and I hope mm. he, he likes what we have to say. And we didn't mean impenetrable in a bad way. We meant impenetrable no. in a very good way. Um, what, once you're in, you almost can't get out. It's so good. He just want to read. Oh more. God, it, I, it's a binger. I, I'm glad yeah, I did read it binger. one at a time. 100. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm waiting for all the shadow service to come out. I'm not buying the individual issues. I'm waiting yeah. for the trade paperback because I'm like, I can't. One issue at a time would take. Don't do that. Kill to you. Anyone You'd listening. be miserable. Yeah, You'd be like, oh my yeah. god, I need more. Yeah, it's so good. So, well, thank you. Um, so, tell everybody the the hardest working man in uh, show business, Michael huh. Burton. Definitely not me. Uh, What's but up? I'm d- tell I'm everybody stuff. your stuff. So Star Wars Comics and Canon, if you're listening to Indie Comics Spotlight, you probably know about it vaguely. But if you've never read a Star Wars comic in your entire life, never read any comics in your entire life, you can check out Comics and Canon. I formulate it, put it together in a specific way so you never have to read a Star Wars comic. And I give general plot details and lots of other trivia and bonus information about planets and species and recurring characters, etc. like that. I've tackled basically every single thing in the High Republic now, apart from two book reviews and one miniseries, which I'm, uh, one manga rather, uh, which I'm tackling very soon. Uh, and then also- That's the IDW one, right? The manga? Uh, the um, no, the I don't know if it is IDW. I think it's it might be a completely different one. Oh, okay. IDW, it might be IDW, and I'm completely missing it. I, I could be right. What did IDW do? 
they, uh, they still did have Monster a Temple Peak and High okay. Republic Adventures. High Republic uh, Adventures. Da- okay. Yeah, yeah. But Dark Horse are going to be doing a lot of their stuff going forward. Um, comics. So it's non-Marvel comics. But yeah, um, so I do Star Wars Comics and Canon. And you can also go to my YouTube channel, which is Genuine Chit Chat, which has all my episodes of Star Wars Comics and Canon in playlists. It also has all my episodes of Genuine Chit Chat. A lot of them have got videos as well and stuff like that. And Genuine Chit Chat, I have a different guest on each episode. I've had Tony on a few times. I've had most of the members of Comics in Motion and the extended family on a variety of times about different things. I'm soon, I don't know when this is airing. You record things really far in advance. Don't Not you? this, this, we're only about, this will be out um, May. I'm going to look at my calendar really quick. This will be out. You'll be hearing our dulcet tones on, on uh, May 26th, just next week. Oh, wow. Um, awesome. So that's going to be um, basically straight after this is uh, my Kenobi show is going to be airing. Um, at some right. Point, you're running, you're going to run the Kenobi show. Discussion right? of Kenobi uh, weekly, like I did with Book of Boba Fett and that sort of thing. So uh, yep. it's going to be different guests each episode for five weeks because two episodes are dropping on that Friday. But yeah, genuine chit chat, loads of different guests. Kevin Scott I've spoken with, Paolo Villanelli, uh, Dominic Pace, who's in The Mandalorian. Um, I've also spoken to Claudia Gray. So, and I want to speak to some more. Um, so and hopefully do we're going to hook you up with, we're going to work. So here's what's happened. Ibrahim, who I just had on, worked with Jody on Mother Panic, one of my all-time favorite uh, comics of the last 10 years, which Mother Panic, everybody's so good. So Ibrahim, he emailed Jody and said, hey, will you talk to Tony? And she said, sure. She's a Floridian as well, it turns out. And, um, but not until the end of the summer. So yep. hopefully when I talk to Jody and it'll go well, I know Steve wants to talk to her. I would love, and I know you've got a different hoops to jump through to get Star Wars people, but if we can be like, hey, psst, Jody, because she's doing Star Wars too at Stranger Things. Yeah, so. well, I, the way I normally get through that is to read whatever their current thing is um, that's out that's non-Star Wars and then be like, I want to talk to you about this, but yeah. also Star Wars. And they're like, yeah, that's fine as long as, you know. Yeah, yeah. so we'll see if we can make that happen because all because I got an email from uh, the... Uh, folks over at humanoids and we're like do you want to introduce interview ibrahim and i was like holy shit yes and so it all, it's all <laughs> hopefully we'll hopefully i'll get to talk to jody Hauser and um if if we're you know maybe we'll just have you come on and like we did with mark yeah i'd be happy to do that. i'd have to read the uh the stuff beforehand but yeah give me some warning i'd love to yeah i'll but let yeah, you we know can- yeah, no pressure at all if they don't, can't make it work with me. But um, yeah, just you can find me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat as well. That's a good place to keep up to date with everything I do when I... I do remember to post twice a week. It just depends on what day because I'm so busy at the moment. <laughs> but comic book photos, uh, links to stuff, snippets from Genuine Chit Chat, guest spots I've done, and sometimes of my life. But Tony, you are delightful. It's always so enjoyable to come on your show and talk to you. And I love listening to you pop up on other people's shows uh, when you're on Back to the Filmography with uh, Tonya about Snatch. Love it love snatch that was fun yep and i just did uh i was just on the night shift which is kyle stuke's horror review show and we did a couple times haven't you yeah yes i've been on this my fourth my fourth one i'm on i'm in his stable but um we did the remake of friday the 13th because the pop gorillas did the friday the 13th i've never seen any friday did them all i listen to all of your i listen to every one of your episodes i appreciate that i know you're free obviously and it was like oh it's so good i loved hearing all your passionate uh, words yours and also obviously obviously and we all had a terrible time uh, but yeah so kyle and i uh do the the remake and that was a lot of fun so yeah i'm around um i've got big plans for the summer i think um uh we'll i'll we'll see we'll see how th- we'll, we'll see con- how things contact go. tony via comics in motion um, yes or the, the i do have my website arfarina.com yeah. and i actually have a couple of comic nerds who reached out and were like will you read my comic and i was like please I'll oh take lovely your free comics. yeah it's always delightful thank you so much for having me on tony absolutely well thank you everybody and you should um you know, follow Mike and support Mike. And uh, do you have all your, do you have your viewers yet on YouTube? Has everybody subscribed? Do you have enough? 
Not quite. Almost. How many more do you need? For like 10. It's because no one, I want to clarify, all my listeners, like we've got hundreds and hundreds, if not more, on like all the different places. But on YouTube, it's because almost no one listens. You got to have a hundred so you can own the name. So just go, you don't have to watch on yeah. YouTube. You just have to follow my I upload two videos a week. That's it. There's no, there's not loads of them. So if you go don't there, go there and out, do that. Do it. All right. Please we'll see everybody in a week from now. Ria and I, a week from now, like we're talking Monday, but a week from now, after you hear Mike and I, Ria and I will be talking to one of Mike's former, former guests, Allison Shelton, talking about Reburn. Who is delightful. That's next. So Mike and then Allison and Ria. So delightful people to come on Indie Comics Spotlight. And we will see everybody next time. Bye. Bye. Shadows are on ya!
Shalom.